I know I'll know what time it is now. Thank you. Thank you, my brother. Thank you. And thank you to the United African Movement. As I've said so many times, it is so wonderful to be with Africans that are united and moving. Because so many are standing still. And it's so important that we realize and understand and to remove the cobweb from our eyes and to wake up. And of course, here at Slave Theater, I'm, I'm preaching to the converted. But there's always room to grow. And that is what our ancestors spoke about when they used to write many, many thousands of years ago. And when our children begin to understand exactly what carbon dating is, we'll go back a couple of million years. They're already talking about the pyramids going back 10,000 years. And I'm telling you, when all is said and done, we're going to go back so far, we will have pyramids built on pyramids. There are so many African civilizations built over the African civilizations that we say are ancient today. It is so important for us to understand as a people what our ancestors have done. I would like to say I'm awe-inspired by what I learned, but as I go along, while I am impressed, I am not surprised. Because, my brothers and sisters, for us to still be here on this planet, in this part of the world, is such a testament to resilience and brilliance and love. You know, they say when you, you can only find your strength when you find your weakness, and I think that's very true. And as an African people, while our weakness may be love, that is also our strength. It's that, it's that feeling, it's that spirit, it's that energy that Bob Bali talks about when he talks about the fire within us. The fire that can never be put out. They're wondering how we're still here. They're wondering how we still could survive. But when you look at the works and the lives of people such as William Leo Hansberry and Harriet Tubman, when you look at those who have gone before us, those who are amongst us today as our brother Alton Maddox, you come to understand. Let's give our brother a round of applause. You come to understand that they ain't seen nothing yet. In the research that we have done looking at the comedic origins of the universe, led me to look at the Dogon people of Mali. What a brilliant people they are. Absolutely and sheer brilliance. And what was so wonderful about these people is that they weren't the only people. Because in this area you have the Miankara, you have the Bozo, you have the Bambara. You have a number of different civilizations all around this area, but not just that, you have it on the west coast, you have it on the southern coast. You have the Monomotapan Empire of South Africa. You have the Cuba of Central Africa. You had the pleasure and the privilege of having someone whom I admire greatly, Dr. Theophile Obenga, who much of our work that we have worked on comes from him. I sat at that brother's feet when he came to CCNY for the first time. Dr. Jeffries and others knew how important his work was to my research, so they let me go up to the Black Studies Department when Dr. Theophilio Benga came for the first time that I knew of. And we sat for a half an hour and we began to talk and compare notes. And in his English and in my partial French, we came to understand that everything that Einstein ever represented had already been known amongst African folk thousands of years ago. Einstein died saying he was looking for something that already existed in the comedic origins of the waters of Nun. The Dogon people are so heavy, you got brilliant, brilliant or so-called brilliant astronomers of other persuasions who in finding out what the Dogon knew about Sirius and about its companion star Sirius B, when they found out the level of knowledge that the Dogon had, what they considered to be a simple people. But you see, that's the beauty about African folk. And that's the brilliance and the beauty about intelligence and consciousness. Because the deeper you get, the more brilliant you get, the simpler everything gets. 
And the only time you make things complex is when you don't understand it in the first place. And when it really profounds you, you begin to speak in foreign languages to let people know you really aren't as ignorant as you really are. It's not that hard. Knowledge is not hard. Education is fun. It is not the fun that makes you go around the way we consider fun to be. It's not a day in Disneyland. But it certainly is a day within the minds and the set minds of our ancestors. The kinds of consciousness that African people looked for was the kind of feelings that we get when we sit in places such as the slave theater. That is what consciousness was. It's that feeling that sends shivers up your spine. When you find out something you always knew, but you find out that someone else knows it too. And that's what makes you applaud. It's the God force coming together. This is what knowledge was. This is what knowledge is. And once our young people get this, they will do in classrooms what Michael Jordan does on the basketball court. On Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays, I spend my time in schools in the Bronx. And I teach this to our children. And I monitor their progress. And I look at what they do and what they feel and the things that they say to me. I would like to say that it's me because my ego comes in sometimes, but I'm telling you it's the information. Our children are finding out about themselves. I have had children in classrooms that forget the bell rang for lunch. Now when that happens, you know something's up. I have children who have said that when they find this information out, they look at everything differently. They hold everybody accountable for being intelligent. Because if you are my teacher and you getting paid, well you better be putting something down on me. When I know something you don't know, then maybe we need to switch places and you need to give me your paycheck. This information is very real. This information is very exhaustive also. And it is because of that, that this evening's presentation, while it is independent in and of itself, it will also be directly related to another presentation that I will be giving on March 16th at First World Alliance. There is just too much information and I did not want to come before you and present this in such an abbreviated form that you didn't get the full flavor of some of the things that I have found out about our ancestors. At the same time, I did not want to spend hours and hours developing knowledge without giving you a break to think about it. Because you need time to think about some of this, because this is awe-inspiring. Our ancestors were a very brilliant people, but what makes them so wonderful is that they were simple. And simple in a sense, not the simple in the English language. I always think of Malcolm when he talks about English as being a language of liars. <laughs> and it is. English is the kind of language that you can say something and not mean a word you say. And sometimes on purpose, and other times you just can't help it. Because if I used the word borrow with you, you wouldn't know if I meant to borrow a hole, the borough of Brooklyn, or the animal that's a borough. You can't help but lie when you use the word borough. But you must know the context in which I'm speaking to understand. In Africa, you wouldn't have one sound with three meanings. But you could have the verse. You could have the sound differ with three meanings. And that was the birth of the talking drum. We are a tonal people. Am I right? We say that's bad. But if I say to you that's bad, there's a difference between bad and bad. And when my body gets into it, it's better than bad. That's the metaphor. And that's why I respect our young people so much, because they're vibing on the metaphor. Yes, I'm kind of concerned about some of the things I hear in rap music, 
But I'm more concerned about the society that has created conditions to have our young people speak that way. Because I've never heard a word Luther Campbell said that I've not heard an adult speak. It's like a tape recorder. How are you going to speak into a tape recorder and our children are the cassette? How can you talk into a tape recorder, play it back, and they get angry at the cassette tape? When you hear our children, that's us. But that's us today. That's us today because we didn't do anything yesterday to make today different. And so what we've got to do is give our young people something to rap about other than what they see. Because there's no word that I've heard that they created. What I have heard is a creative metaphor. And this evening's presentation is going to talk about figurative language. Because if we are to wrestle with this so-called mystery of the African peoples, it is we must learn figurative language. Because our people speak figuratively. It's called amongst the African folk hitting a straight line with a curved stick. It is the ability to say something, but vibing on something else to make that understood. So you don't say it directly. That is the Western world, they're very literal. When they say something, that's what they say. But now there's a contradiction in what I just said, because in speaking English, they're lying from the get. So what you say is not what you say, what you say is what you want me to think you say. And therefore we live in a world of confusion and we are a simple people with great and magnificent intelligence. So when you're sane in an insane society, the only way you can go is insane. Because you're not going to make what's insane sane. So what do you do? You break away from the insanity and you create a sane nation. And that's what we must do. And the strength that I come before you with, my beloved slave community, is not what I believe, but what I've seen happen with our young people. Our young people are ready. I've not gone on programs telling what we do because I'm a student of John Henry Clark, who teaches us that we can do anything we want to as long as we don't run in the street and tell people what we're doing. You see, that's another part of us. We're so happy that we got something. We forget where we are. So we want to run out and share what we know. Nothing wrong with that. That's what created the great African nations. But we're not in Africa. So you got to know where you are. When it was time to talk in Africa, we talked and we created great nations. That's not where we are right now. We're not on the banks of happy. We need to understand what it is we have to do. And we have to support the United African Movement. My brothers and sisters, it is so clear. It is so clear where we must go. I would love to say and believe that I will get there, but I don't think I'll live to see it. When I say that, I mean I plan on living to be 150. I'm not saying that I plan on leaving anytime early. What I'm saying is that this is a process. Our ancestors on the plantation, who knew they'd never see their freedom, did what they did knowing that somewhere down the line somebody would. So what we must do is live in their light and plan for our future understanding that we may not see what we want but we are part of a roadmap that one day will emancipate and liberate the African minds of our children grandchildren great-grandchildren and all those that are to come after us I've been in the New York City public school system since 1979. And every year, what I learn and what I know makes me ever more in the realization that this curriculum that we talk about is real. 
This is no made-up ethnic cheerleading. Nothing would be more insulting to us as a people to just sit around in a room and cheerlead our ethnic group. That's called dynamic projection. In psychology, dynamic projection is when somebody projects on those whom they wish to oppress their own insecurities and deepest inferiorities. They say we want an ethnic cheerlead because there is no group on the face of this earth that cheerleads their ethnic group more than people of European descent. Freud is the father of psychology. But I have a picture of Freud's desk and he has every nature or statue of biological psychiatry that existed in the comedic mind. So how he the father of psychology when he studied comedic psychology? I've often said that people of European descent leave off a phrase, a prepositional phrase, for Europe. Christopher Columbus discovered America for Europe. Freud discovered psychology for Europe. You can go through every subject, and I'm a curriculum writer and a consultant to many boards of ed. So I've seen many books in science, psychology, chemistry, physics. Johannes Kepler, born in Stuttgart, Germany, given credit for creating, inventing the planetary laws of motion, yet he himself admits in his writing he studied the comedic golden law of planetary motion. Copernicus admits he studied comedic astronomy. In fact, anybody that knows anything in that time of history studied Egypt. Nobody, even Hitler, was a student of Egypt. Napoleon was a student of Egypt. This is not what I say, this is what they said. But what we're suffering under is a sin of omission. Part of his commission, but a whole bunch of it is omission. It's not what they say, it's what they don't say. When we begin to teach this to our young people, and as we develop our presentation for this evening, brothers and sisters, you're going to understand that when our young people get this information, people in the Western world will be left behind by quantum leap. Because they will not have the intelligence to be able to test our children. Because they won't even understand what our children are talking about. By a quantum leap. You can understand why Jackie Robinson wasn't allowed in sports. It's not that he'd ruin the neighborhood. It's that he'd create a new neighborhood. And it's not that they could not live in our neighborhood. It's that they would not be qualified to live in our neighborhood. When African folk got into sports, everything changed. They had to make baseball fields larger because black folk would just pop that ball right out the baseball field. Babe Ruth is given credit for being the king of baseball when baseball fields were very short. The baseball field of today is much larger than it was yesterday. African folk got into basketball, they had to raise the hoop. Black folk perfected the two-shot, two-point shot so well, they had to create three-point. People say, well, what's next? Well, what's next is both. Because he's not just good in one sport, he's good in all sports. Well, that same greatness in sports, that same greatness in entertainment, exists because that's the only place they've allowed us to use our melanin. When we use our melanin in our minds, we will take knowledge to a level that they never even guessed. But they always feared. And this time is now. What the Dogon, what the Chemites, what the Bambara, what the Bozo were doing in Africa, the civilizations that they created, 
were things that brought fear into the hearts of those that came, jealousy. And what we have to do and understand, we have to define some things. We have to look at certain things and understand that there is a way of looking at this knowledge that will bring an understanding. Now I know that we have the overhead projector. I would like to use that, but I've, in our center we just got the overhead projector and I'm learning how to use it. So to go between here and there might be a little bit difficult, so you may see me hesitant to go over there. I thank you for setting it up, but I don't think we're going to use it this evening. Once I get used to it, we'll be able to do it. But I'm hoping that just in our discussion, I can create pictures for you so that you can see. Some things that we would like to discuss. One of the first things that we have to do is that we have to make some definitions. We have to define some things. In order to truly understand this knowledge that we're about to discuss this evening and on March 16th, I would like to define some things to help us understand what's underneath all of this. Professor John Henry Clark, there's one thing that our elder brother taught us, me in particular, which is the same thing that William Leo Hansberry taught him, and it is something that Professor Clark was one of the first things that he gave credit to William Leo Hansberry for teaching him, was philosophical underpinnings. You have to understand that nothing comes to be out of itself, that there's always a natural progression. The Chemites called it Kepra. It's a process of becoming. Everything comes as a consequence of what came just before it. You cannot look at yourselves today without looking at what happened in 1620. You can't understand 1620 without understanding the Crusades. You must understand the role that the Crusades played in why we're in the position we're in today, the role that the Moors played in showing Europe what civilization was about. So you need a philosophical underpinning. You need to look at certain things to understand why things came to be. So with that, I would like to just talk about a couple of ideas. Number one, I want to give us a couple of definitions because this is at the base of all knowledge. The first thing is conjecture. Conjecture is a conclusion drawn from admittedly insufficient data. 90% of the curriculums we use built on conjecture. It is admittedly faulty, but it is put up as something else, which we'll talk about as we develop this. This information, by the way, is coming out of the research and the work of our brother, Reverend Dr. Ishaka Musa Barashango. He says that an example of a supposition, if you wanted to use a phrase, was, let us suppose that. And if you wanted to use one word to develop a conjecture, it would be possibility. The second word that we'd like to define, supposition. Supposition is an assumption with less assurance than an hypothesis. One word would be maybe. Supposition, maybe. Now let's look at the word hypothesis. Hypothesis is a temporary explanation of an occurrence based on known data, thus validating a basis for further research. An example would be, it seems to be that. It seems to be. Don't make it so, it seems to be. One word, probable. Number four would be theory. Theory comes out of the concept to observe, to see, to look at. And hypothesis is so well substantiated, it is believed to be generally accepted. An example of a phrase would be, it appears to be that. And one word would be believable. The fifth word is science. Science is to know. Science is a body of actual facts, systematically arranged, and showing the operation of certain principles 
of natural law. Now that's the African mind right there, science. Natural law. This stuff out here is unnatural. They can get you to a conclusion and you wonder how you got there. All they did is say, hold my hand, I'll take you there. But the route you took was not natural. Therefore, it's not science. An example of this would be the law of gravity. Or if you wanted to personify the law of gravity, Michael Jordan. You know, they often say about Michael Jordan, he defies the law of gravity. But to Africans and Native Americans, you never defy nature. When you are so in tune with Ma'at, you become nature. Michael Jordan doesn't defy the law of gravity, he becomes the law of gravity. And who's going to tell the law of gravity you can't stay up in the air for 10 seconds? I just wish the brother was aware of his well-melanated state. He could stay up there all night. The sixth word is theology. The study of the concept or idea of a creative force or what we would call or who we would call God. And the final word or the next to final word is cosmology, which is the study of how the universe came to be and stayed becoming. Because just because you come to be don't mean you're becoming. I know a lot of African folk who be, but they don't be becoming. You can be and not be becoming, but you cannot be becoming and not be. We here, African people, united in movement, are not just being, we are becoming. Becoming a more perfect nation, a more perfect people. And while I'd like to see great numbers of us, I know numbers don't build great nations. Commitment, dignity, integrity, and unity to purpose creates nations. The final word that we'd like to talk about is philosophy, which is the love of wisdom. Philosophy being an African word as Theophilio Benga constantly teaches us, coming out of Sophia or Sophus, meaning wisdom, and philo, meaning love. They say it's Greek, but you know where the Greek got it from. All you got to do is know that. It's like I was speaking to a brother about Shwala de Lubitz this evening. And you know, Shwala de Lubitz never said that well, who he was writing about was African folk. He knew he wouldn't make a dime if he did. So he just opened up and said what the Africans did, but never said they were Africans. So when you read his work, just know they were African people. That's the key to understanding. The sin of omission. In our schools today, we teach children a certain way. And what we notice is that we consider to be intelligence or the genius. We look at logic, which I'd like to define as math and science. It's not always defined that way, but let me give you that way for now. That's not what logic is, but let's just say logic is what we teach in math and science. And linguistics. Linguistics meaning language, whether it be reading or writing, oratory. So when we create what we call TAG schools, T-A-G, talented and gifted, we normally teach science, the biologies, the chemistries, physics. We teach the math, the algebra, the trigonometry, the geometry. And we say these children are gifted. They are intelligent. We have SAT, the PSAT, a lot of folk getting rich. We have the MAT, the LSAT, the GRE, the NTE. And not one of these tests measure your intelligence. The only thing they measure is how well you take a test. If you wanted to do that in the beginning, why not just say, this is a test to see how well you take a test. But they don't do that. They mask, the, they mask all of this and they hide all of this behind what they call the IQ. They mask it that way because they know that if they took it on another level, they would never understand it. But what we understand is that there are multiple intelligences 
And I like to call it my skill. And by my skill, I would like to define it in a certain way, and then maybe I'll venture over to the overhead projector to put it down so that you can see it. M-I-S-K-I-L-L, -L, my skill. The M of my skill, a level of intelligence or brilliance where children can find themselves and do very well in life, is music. Music being rhythm, whether it be dance, song, instrument, children can find their math, their biology, their chemistry, their physics, their life and consciousness through music. It is an area that we neglect because we think it's entertainment. People of other persuasions came into African communities and saw African people dancing and they said they're having fun not realizing they walked in on Biology 101. The I of my is intrapersonal. Intrapersonal meaning your genius and your intelligence comes through self-reflection. I am a person of intrapersonal skills. In the beginning, it was forced on me didn't necessarily want it, but I have a speech impediment. I stutter and I stammer. When I say this to our young people in our special ed classes, they say, oh no, Ms. Coleman, that's impossible. Don't sound like that to me. And what I do is I bring myself down to the level that I know that I can stutter and I stammer and I start to talk. And there are times when I cannot even finish a sentence. I never lost my shortcoming, I merely overcame and learned how to deal with it. There's a brother I used to know growing up. He had a limp. Brother used to walk like this. People used to laugh at him. He's making fun of him. As brother got older, used to walk like this. Whole bunch of folk checking out Brother Man, kind of liked the way he walked. And all of a sudden, you'd see Brother Man walking down the street and here's all the buddies. Now, what am I saying? Brother man took a shortcoming and made it a strength. And that's what I did with my stuttering. I learned how to talk. I learned how to use my hands. You may hear me pause this evening. You may hear me stress a word. That is because I know if I don't, I'll stutter. So as brother man got his ditty bop together, I also overcame my speech impediment. I still could have it. And as I'm with our special education children, I'm still trying to figure out what that means. But I need to come back and do a whole session on that. There's an appreciation that occurs that I have for them because I know that if someone had told me when I was a young boy that I would be before you, I would never have believed them. This for me is a dream come true. But you know, there's nobody in this room that doesn't have his or her shortcoming. And you've learned how to mask your shortcoming too. I only speak about it to bring it to the fore to help you understand what our children in special ed are facing. They are brilliant and they are intelligent and the creative force has endowed them with a unique gift. And it is our job to find that unique gift, not tell them what it is, but allow them to find it through their own life's journey and allow them to develop that unique gift in order for them to give it back to our nation, to create the kinds of nations we had 
when we lived amongst ourselves. The S of skill, the intelligence, spatial, the visual. There's something called the magic eye. It's a photograph, a picture that you look at, and upon looking at it, it looks like colors and looks like a wonderful design. But upon closer inspection, but more importantly, upon focusing in the picture, you come to realize that there is a formed picture within that picture. Some magic eye pictures have pyramids. Some have, I've seen them with dinosaurs, with palm trees. I've seen them with children playing in schoolyards. You show it to some people, some people, I don't see it. I can't see it, why? Because they can't focus. They can't see deeper. They can only see what's up front. And that's the problems the Greeks had with the African people. They could not get deep into what they were looking at. They did not have the magic eye. They could only see what was on the surface. And as we get into the Dogon philosophy, we will call that Jiriso, knowledge from the front. In Kemet, they will call the first initiates. The K of skill represents kinesthetic or bodily movement, which could include sports, physical activity, or soul train. Because you know what them brothers and sisters do on soul train? People on American Bandstand dream about. People say them black folk can dance, can't they? It's not so much that we can dance, it's that we are within the tunes of Ma'at. We are in tune with our surroundings. Therefore, the way in which we dance, we move with the wind. We move with our surroundings. Whereas other people are in violation of their surroundings. And that's why they dance that way. That's why they sing that way. Give me their best and I'll show you our mediocre. They say it's in the genes. It's in melanin. And melanin is in the gene. And melanin is what brought DNA into place. The second eye, or the eye of skill, is interpersonal or social. That's the politician. They can be the most ignorant people on earth, but they know how to be social. They know how to use the English language. They know how to lie. But nevertheless, interpersonal is also an area of genius. Because there are also many people who are very good at social and are brilliant in other areas too. We now come down to the two L's. These two L's are the L's. Now I've already given you five areas of brilliance and intelligence where our children and we as a people can do well. Here's where we're always tested. The first L is logic as we defined it as math and science. And the second is linguistics, which is verbal. Now look at all that preceded those two. And I'm saying that Africans sought to master all seven intelligences. They were good at it all. The priests and the priestesses of Africa wanted to become the highest form of living entity that they could. In African philosophy, which is the basis for religion, they never taught that God was outside of you or God was inside of you. They taught you that you were God. Now there's a big difference. Because if we love God as we say, we love God. We would not do to ourselves or the other gods on earth what we do. By the nature of what we say. 
So their life's mission was to act as God would on earth. In the hope that if they did it so well on earth, they would inherit the kingdom of that God upon transcendence. The way in which they presented this information was in figurative language. Now, figurative language is very important to understand because it is at the basis of the way in which we talk to one another, the way in which we deal with one another, the way in which we study and learn and do well. Let's look at figurative language. Let's look at the metaphor and the simile because that's what hip-hop is about, about the metaphor and the simile. I know there are words that you don't like. There are words that I do not like. But go beyond what they say and look at the concept they're conjuring up. I've heard too many rappers say, don't take me literally. Listen and look at what I'm saying. And if you want to find a way to do it, when you listen to Luther Campbell, when you listen to those songs that send shivers up your spine, draw a picture of what you think he's saying, or she. Then you will understand from a metaphorical perspective what's being said. Metaphors and similes create rich, exciting images that convey the author's purpose and why they are even writing. They convey this purpose quickly. The challenge to us is to use our imaginations when we read them. You must try to visualize similes and metaphors. A simile, for instance, is a comparison of two things using the words like or as. For instance, she slept like a rock. Now, you could have said she was in a deep sleep, but the image that's conjured up by a rock and then giving that personality to a person, she slept like a rock. Or you might say his legs felt like rubber bands. The concept of a rubber band being so elastic and sometimes when we are faltering, when we're about to pass out, you could say they unweight that he was wavering but to say someone's legs was like rubber bands creates an image of someone's legs just shaking like a rubber band. The ants, this is the one the children like, the ants were as thick as a carpet. She would say, that's like my house. <laughs> They're so honest, let me tell you something. Their mothers and fathers were in the house, they have a heart attack. The ants were thick as a carpet. Now, I mean, you can imagine, think of a, a carpet and think of ants just on the floor. That simile creates a picture to help you understand what's being said. Metaphor. A metaphor is a comparison that states or implies its meanings rather than using the words like or as. His face was an open book. The puppy was a limp noodle. We then get from the metaphor and the simile, the other form of figurative language, which is symbols. Symbols, objects that stand for something other than themselves are called symbols. In literature, symbols can take many forms. Symbols are very powerful and can convey a lot of information in a simple story or a simple sentence. Symbols come in the forms of human beings, things in nature, animals, or people. I'm sorry, I should have said the first one was man-made objects. Two was things in nature. Three was animals. Four, people. When you look at Meduneta, you're looking at symbols. They used man-made objects, such as the jet column. They used things in nature, such as the lotus plant or the papyrus plant. 
They used animals such as the crocodile, the sobek, the falcon for Heru. They used the ibis bird for Tehuti. They used the dog for Impu, not to mention the cat for Bast. And they used people. They used people in Meruneta to represent divinity. They used it to show humanity. And they used humans or people to show the animal form in people. And they combined the two. So when you're watching Hercules on Saturday, and you see this thing with our, with our man's body, uh, our man's uh, forebody, and the body of a horse, well, you know where they got that idea from. Because that is their version of what Africans did when they took the head of an animal and put it on the body of a human. Or they took the body of a human and put the head of an animal. Or let me take it another way. They took the head of an animal and put it on the body of a human. It's brilliant. Meruneta, the specialization of animals. The human being is the only essence on earth that has no reason to be here. Had the trees not dwindled 25 million years ago, gorillas would comb the earth. It is only that something happened in the atmosphere that made the trees dwindle, that made some of us jump out the trees, walk on the earth, change that opposable big toe into a stability toe, which freed up our hands. We created tools. In creating tools, we started to think. and starting to think, we started to plant food. Plant food, we thought better, thought better, planted better food, and then we built the pyramids. That's why people have problems with evolution. Because when you deal with evolution, you're dealing with Africa. The only place on earth where you'll find gorilla is in the Virunga Mountains, in the central part of Africa. You have the mountain gorilla, and you have the eastern and the western lowland gorilla, all coming out of mountains, very near the mountains of the moon. I dare not say that we evolved out of gorillas, but I would dare say that we have a common ancestor. 90% of what gorillas do, we do. In fact, there are some gorillas whose fingerprints might match mine. I just hope that gorilla don't get caught up when I get in trouble. The third form of figurative language is personification. When a non-human object takes on human characteristics the author has used the literary device called personification. For instance, the sun smiled down on them. Another one, as the waves gently caressed the beach. Authors use personification as a means of creating lasting images in the reader's mind. A train that roared by is a much sharper image than one that simply went by. The roaring train creates a quick, vivid impression. The flashback. The flashback. If the author writes about a past event in a character's life and in, inserts it in the current part of the story, he is using a flashback. Many times, background information about characteristics and events are conveyed to readers through the flashback. For instance, Tom's mother thought back to the time Tom received his first basketball. He was still in diapers. That's a flashback because she's going back into Tom's past. Then you have foreshadowing. Foreshadowing is when an event in a current situation suggests to the reader that future events will take place in the story. The author has used foreshadowing. It's a way the author lets the reader know what to expect 
in the later part of her story. For example, but no one who saw him play high school basketball imagined the great NBA player he would become. That is foreshadowing. Now, why is this important? This is important, my brothers and sisters, because these are some of the forms that we as African people use in displaying our intelligence, the way in which we write, the way in which we talk. It is not that we, didn't, we do not talk and act and think in the literal, in the linear, but we tend to allow ourselves to go into the circuitous or the circular way or the form of writing and thinking. We are linear, but we are circuitous. And it is important that as we begin to develop our consciousness, that we begin to tap in to these kinds of ideas. When we are with our children, whether they be classroom or our children or our friends' children, we need to look at the seven basic intelligences, and there are other ways you can say this. There are other ways you could say music and interpersonal, spatial, but I use this just so we can focus on something. How many times have we ever asked our children in math class to draw something? How many times do we actually ever ask them to use other parts of their intelligence other than just filling in the blanks, multiple choice, or writing essays? It's important that when we begin to talk to our children that we look at figurative language and that we understand that much of what they say and we say, we're not actually saying that. We, it's like when we say, well, you know what I mean. Well, obviously you must have used figurative language because if you had said it very linearly or straightforward you wouldn't have to say you know what I mean because you would have been obvious so when you're not obvious you use figurative language you use it in another way and this is what the texts in Africa did this is what our ancestors did when they wrote the Memphite text the Shabaka stone the pyramid text, the coffin text, the Bremerin papyrus. They said to the sun in the hymn to Aten, they said, you glorious sun who bring down your hands of life and bring forward the fruit, the vegetables and the very sustenance that humans live by. In fact, you have brought us forward and kissed our face with your life. That's personification. That's flashback. That's the metaphor. But if you read that, they will make you think that what the Africans were saying was that the sun had a hand that came down and put life on earth in a literal sense. So what we have got to begin to do is to look at this information from a figurative language perspective. The hymn to our tent says, you, the mighty sun, whose eyes pierce through the air to the surface of the ocean and touch the ocean floor. There must have been some scuba divers in Canada. How can you know that the sun rays touch the ocean floor lest you yourself have been to the ocean floor to see it for yourself? How can you write that? You can't. How do you even know that there is a floor on the ocean? Lest you've been there yourself. The hymn to our ten was a metaphoric text in science. It was a holistic text that said, you the sun, who are the cause for the differing complexions on earth. Sounds like they knew about melanin to me. Because how do you know what would cause the different complexions if you did not do the scientific laboratorical work necessary to know of the carbon atom. You, the mighty sun, who are the cause for the differing languages on the earth. They must have been to many parts of the earth to know that they were differing languages. So why are we surprised that Africans are in America and in Europe and in Asia? How do you know there are different languages in other lands unless you've been to the other lands to hear those languages? This is what the hymn to our ten talks about. 
And it is important that as we begin to develop this, that we look at the work of Dr. John Henry Clark, Dr. Theophilio Benga, Dr. John G. Jackson, Drs. Chancellor Williams, and Sheikh Onta Jok, to understand that there is a cultural unity in Africa. There is a cultural tie that binds African people together, not just on the continent, but in her diaspora. That there is something very common about our brothers and sisters in Palmeiras of Brazil, in the Maroons of Jamaica, of Santeria de Puerto Rico, República Dominicana, of Boudin, of the French-speaking islands, and in amongst the Baptists in Georgia. There is something that binds us together, that in Kennedy Airport we can pass each other and smile and nod and have a whole conversation but never say a word. You know we can do that. That's part of the genes. It's in the genes. It's in us. And what the, glori the glorious thing about Meruneta was, is that Meruneta was a pictographic language, which no matter what vocal language you spoke, if you understand the context or the concepts in Meruneta, you then would understand what everybody was speaking. Let me give you an example. Let's go back to Kennedy Airport. And let's look at a door. And beside the door, there's a picture of a man. No matter what country you come from around the world, you know if you're a man, you can go in there and not get arrested. Now you have another door with a woman. It doesn't say women. Because out of the 150 languages, you know what, how many times you'd have to say woman? All you have to do is put a picture there. That is what Meruneta was. Ghostbusters, you got that circle with the line through. It means that whatever is in that circle, you don't do. That's Meruneta. That is where they got it from. No matter what language you speak, if you get on a bus and in that circle, it has a cigarette, it has food, it has a radio, you know that's what you can't do. You may speak a different language. Maybe everybody on the bus may speak a different language, but everybody on the bus know no smoking, no eating, no radio playing. Meruneta, figurative language. These are the keys to understanding our past. Meruneta is not a mystery. It's a mystery to those who can't figure out the language. There's no mystery to us. And as we begin to develop and understand and teach our children, we will be able to decipher the words of our ancestors. As Theophilio Benga has done so well, Jacob de Jorf has done so well, our sister Raketi Wimby is doing so well, Roosevelt Robinson is doing a magnificent job, Jacob Carruthers, who graced this stage this year, Maulana Karenga. All of these scholars are doing very important work. And once we get our children here, they'll be telling us things they see that we don't see. Because there's a very special relationship between the young and the old. That's why it was so important that the grandparents raised the children while the parents went off and maintained the society. In Congo, in Kikongo, the language, it is called Kindesi, the art of babysitting. Because as our brother Maladoma Somme teaches us, Burkina Faso, of water and the spirit, that the reason why the relationship between grandchild and grandparents is so sacred is because one has just come from the ancestors and the other is on his way back to the ancestors. And together they have a unique relationship where they talk about ancestors. And so that when they come of age to begin to develop the civilization, then they will understand the ancestral line and what the ancestors are actually telling them. 
You know, if you knock at somebody's door and you don't get no answer, eventually you're going to knock on someone else's door. And that's...